MSW Media. This episode is brought to you by Jiminy's, maker of sustainable dog food and treats made with cricket protein that's better for the environment, uses less land and water to produce. Cricket protein is a superfood that's delicious, nutritious, and easy to digest for dogs. You can save 25% on your first purchase. Go to Jiminy's.com slash DailyBeans25 and use code DailyBeans25 at checkout. Today's show is also brought to you by my favorite daily nutritional drink, Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Just go to athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And we thank them for their support. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Monday, April 11th, 2022. Today, Don Jr. tweeted Mark Meadows a coup plot before the election results were even finalized. A high-profile Proud Boy has pled guilty and is cooperating with the Justice Department. The two men arrested for impersonating DHS officers were tipped off about the raid and had a Secret Service officer help them destroy evidence. And the State Department says the White House gift records for Trump and Pence are missing. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. They should check those missing 15 boxes of stuff. Uh, Seriously, not to mention the Secret Service story is scary as shit. It's getting so weird. You know, my friend Pete, Pete Strzok, texted that story to me today. And and we've just been talking like this is getting out of hand. I mean, it's it really is. It is. And um, I talk with him about that, Pete Strzok, on yesterday's Mueller, she wrote. If you haven't listened yet, go give that a listen. And that was before we got this story today. So add this to the pile. Also, a huge congratulations and what an amazing day because this this happened after we recorded, of (laughs) course, on Thursday. But Ketanji Brown Jackson has been nominated to the Supreme Court. Not nominated. Confirmed. Confirmed Confirmed. to the Supreme Court. That's right. Justice Jackson, if you're nasty. Justice Jackson, if you're nasty. Boy, that that, uh, joke is getting some mileage these days. I'm going to say something in this moment is that Georgia, 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 if they had not elected two Democratic senators, if Stacey Abrams had not put together a voting coalition, if a black woman had not led that fight in Georgia, a black woman would have never been able to become, right now, during this time, a Supreme Court justice because they would have blocked every single nominee. Mm -hmm. And then we had a black woman, a mixed-race black woman. Um, Is Kamala Pacific Asian and black or? South Asian. South Asian and black woman. Call the vote. I mean, there yeah, was so much was joy thing, right? for all of it, you know? That was my thing, yeah. right? Was that a black woman announced the confirmation of a black woman to SCOTUS, a black woman it VP. It all goes back. And yeah, we have to, we, seriously, black women saved this country in Yeah, it all goes back to Stacey Abrams from Georgia. Mm-hmm. Beautiful thing. Voters. Thank you to the voters of Georgia, if you are listening. Yes, and South Carolina. Yes. <laughs> all right, we have a lot of news to get to, so uh, let's jump in. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. This is big news, even though the New York Times stuffed it on page A16 below the fold. Way to go, Mike Schmidt. Two days after the 2020 presidential election, November 5th, as votes were still being counted, Donald Trump's eldest crotch goblin texted then White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows that we have operational control 
to ensure his father would get a second term with Republican majorities in the U.S. Senate and swing state legislatures. And that's according to exclusive reporting from CNN. In the text, which had not been previously reported, Donald Trump Jr. lays out all the ideas for keeping his dad in power by subverting the electoral college process. That's according to messages reviewed by CNN. This text is among records obtained by the House Select Committee investigating January 6th. He says, quote, it's very simple. This is what he texted to Meadows, Don Jr., on November 5th. Again, two days before the election was called. We have multiple paths. We control them all, he said. In a statement to CNN, Trump's lawyer, Alan Futterfoss, said, after the election, Don received numerous messages from supporters and others. (laughs) non-supporters, I guess. Given the date, Fuderfoss says, this message likely originated from someone else and was forwarded. Why given the date? Why does that make it a forwarded message? Because what, Don Jr. wouldn't say such a thing until Biden was confirmed the winner? I don't understand what the date has to do with it, Fuderfoss. Yeah, it's a, it's a bad argument. That's why it doesn't make sense to you. Oh, oh right. Cool. All right. right now. <laughs> Fuderfoss. Fuderfoss. Not even a real name. Go ahead. No, I know, right? Like Terwilliger and Fuderfoss. I mean, so many of the lawyers' names. Okay. Now, immediately before his text to Meadows, describing multiple paths for challenging the election, Trump Jr. texted Meadows the following. This is what we need to do. Please read it and please get it to everyone that needs to see it because I'm not sure we're doing it. And that does sound like a forwarded message, right? But it's also Trump saying, read this. We have to do it. I'm not sure we're doing it. So he's still part of this. Sorry, Alan. Alan, Alan. But, you know, it's interesting also that Don Jr. is the one who received that text message from Julian Assange telling him, interesting, if your father loses, don't concede. Mm-hmm. Remember? Remember in 2016? This was the plan in 2016 if Trump lost. Yeah. So Jr. goes on, we have operational control, total leverage, moral high ground. POTUS must start second term now. And that seems like something that he maybe forwarded because I don't think he would have. I don't know. Anyway, the text from Trump Jr. is revealing on a number of levels. It shows how those closest to the former president were already exchanging ideas on how to overturn the election, not only months before January 6th, but before the votes were even counted. And it would be another two days, like I said, before any major news outlet declared Joe Biden the winner. That was November 7th. And I remember it well. I'll never forget that day. The text also adds to a growing body of evidence of how Trump's inner circle was actively engaged in discussing how to challenge the election results. And in my mind, and in the minds of a lot of former U.S. attorneys that have been tweeting about this, this is also evidence that Donald knew they lost. They knew. Absolutely. Right? And that goes to corrupt intent. They weren't trying to challenge the result. The result hadn't been given yet. You know? Oh, absolutely. They were prepared. Absolutely. Well, that was like after the election when I think he was, was was he COVID positive that night? When he was like, we won by a lot tonight. Like he went and did that press conference. He was like sweaty. It was like three o'clock in the morning. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Stop the votes, right? Stop Stop counting. Stop the count. Yeah. (laughs) On March 28th, Judge Carter, as we know, federal judge in California, woohoo, California, said that Trump, along with John Eastman, launched an unprecedented campaign to overturn the election, calling it a coup in search of a legal theory, which is fantastic. That's exactly what it was. In the weeks following the election, Trump and his allies eventually filed more than 60 failing lawsuits in key states. They failed to convince the courts about his claims about the stolen election or that they were justified. And they all the lawyers have been sanctioned over it. They also called for various recounts, the, the folks, all the p- people around Trump, based on those same unfounded voter claims. In fact, Joe Biden just won Arizona again. 
last week. That's <laughs> what it says. He's now the 98th president of the United States. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> a number of states conducted recounts in the months after the election, though none of them revealed any fraud substantial enough to have changed the outcome. Bill Barr said there was no fraud. He resigned. I mean, it's obvious. And while Trump Jr. was publicly pushing various voter fraud conspiracy theories and generally casting doubt on the results in states like Pennsylvania and Georgia, his text to Meadows reveals there were other ideas that were being discussed privately. Specifically, he previews a strategy to supplant authentic electors with fake Republican electors in a handful of states. That plan was eventually orchestrated and carried out by allies of the former president overseen by Rudy Giuliani, now under investigation at the Department of Justice. And in his text to Meadows, Jr. identifies two key dates in December that serve as deadlines for certifying the election, I think the 8th and the 14th. And though they're largely ceremonial, in his text, Jr. appears to point to them as potential weaknesses to be exploited by casting doubt on the legitimacy of the election results. If secretaries of state were unable to certify the results, Trump Jr. argues in his text that they should press their advantage by having Republican-controlled state assemblies step in and put forward separate slates of Trump electors. Republicans control Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, North Carolina, etc. We get Trump electors. That's what he texted. And his text, however, refers to an untested legal theory that state houses are the ultimate authority in elections and can intervene to put forward a different slate of electors than those chosen by the voters. When in reality, this is a ceremonial process and the outcome is essentially a foregone conclusion. You don't tell the voters of your state, sorry, we know you voted, but we're going to do a different thing. That's (laughs) not how it works. But that's exactly with some of the laws that are being passed on the big lie that that legislators would be able to do that in, in red states. The Justice Department and the House committees are both investigating the fake electors plot, as I said, within the context of what unfolded on January 6th and his broader effort, Donald's broader effort to overturn the election. And these strategies floated by Trump Jr. is very similar to what was outlined by former governor and Trump Energy Secretary Rick Perry, one of the three amigos who tried to undermine Ukraine. He texted Meadows November 4th, suggesting three state legislatures ignore the will of their votes and the voters and deliver the state's electors to Trump anyway, regardless of what the voters said. Junior also texts Meadows that Congress could intervene on January 6th and overturn the will of the voters if, for some reason, they were unable to secure the electoral votes to tip the outcome in Trump's favor using their state-based strategy. That option, according to his text, involves a scenario where neither Biden nor Trump have enough electoral votes to be declared a winner, prompting the House of Representatives to vote by state party delegation, with each state getting one vote. And Republicans have 28 states. Democrats have 22. And Trump Jr. texts that to Mark Meadows and said, once again, Trump wins. And we were talking about that, Dana, as a possibility just if if the election, if no one got to 270. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. 270? Yeah. 270. Yeah. If no one got to 270, that's a problem because it would go to the House and the House delegations would vote. So we had to really vote in numbers too big to manipulate. And then Trump says, we either have, this is Junior, we, we either have a vote, we control and we win, or it gets kicked to Congress January 6th. And in a series of memos in early January, John Eastman proposed the same idea, right? Now we've got the emails that have been handed over to the committee. And Junior ends his November 5th text by calling for a litany of personal moves to solidify his father's control over the government by putting loyalists in key jobs. He says to fire Ray and fire Fauci, referring to FBI Director Chris Ray, and suggests that they put Acting Director of National Intelligence Rick Grinnell in charge of the FBI, who has zero, zero intelligence and zero intelligence experience. <laughs> and, <laughs> I was just going to stop at intelligence. Zero yeah, and intelligence. hard stop. Yep. 
and they were going to put him and then having Bill Barr select a special prosecutor on, quote, hard drive from hell, Biden crime family. Good Lord. So, yeah, they are doing an investigation into Hunter Biden. That that did happen. But I'm also curious as to whether, you know, Junior is conceding here. It's the AG that has to appoint a special counsel, not the president. And I wonder if Trump pushed Barr to appoint Powell to investigate election integrity because he was trying to float her as being a special counsel. And as we know, as I said, November 5th, the election hadn't even been called. And, and by the way, it was Grinnell who wanted them to file a lawsuit, announced that he was filing a lawsuit to stop the counting of illegal votes in Nevada <laughs> before they were finished counting. So that's who that guy is. Such a mess. The whole thing is a mess. Yeah. Uh, thank you, AG. The State Department says it is unable to compile a complete and accurate accounting of gifts that were presented to the former president the former guy, and other U.S. officials by foreign governments during Trump's final year in office, citing missing data from the White House. Shocking. There's something missing from the White House. I I'm know. actually I... surprised he didn't just take the furniture and like the, the, the lighting at this point. <laughs> I mean, he, he took, took everything else. He did. I, I was when I first read this, I was like, uh, there was no accounting of gifts given to Trump in the last year of office. I was like, probably because nobody gave him any. <laughs> but I mean, that's not the case. Yeah, there were lots of money. In a report to be published in the Federal Register next week, the department says the executive office of the president did not submit information about gifts received by Trump and his family from foreign leaders in 2020. Now, it also says the General Services Administration didn't submit information about gifts given to former Vice President Mike Pence and White House staffers that year. Interesting. Now, the State Department said it sought the missing information from, of course, the National Archives and Records Administration and the General Services Administration, but was told that, quote, potentially relevant records <laughs> are not available because of access restrictions related to retired records. And they're probably just on or in the toilet. Uh, the State Department's Office of Protocol reported the situation in footnotes to a partial list of gifts received by U.S. officials in 2020. The office publishes such lists annually in part to guard against potential conflicts of interest. No mm. shit. Now, a preview of the 2020 report was posted on the Federal Register website on Friday ahead of its formal publication on Monday. The report notes that the lack of gift information could be related to internal oversights as the protocol office neglected to submit the request for data to all reporting agencies prior to January 20th, 2021, when the Trump administration ended and the Biden administration began. However, it's also noted that there has been a lack of adequate record keeping <laughs> pertaining to diplomatic gifts and a shit ton of other things between January 20th, 2017, when Trump took office and his departure four years later. Yeah, lots of uh, bad record-keeping during that time. The State Department report comes as House lawmakers have opened an investigation into reports that Trump had taken boxes of classified materials with him to his Mar-a-Lago residence in Florida after leaving office last year. The National Archives and Records Administration has asked the Justice Department to look into the matter. And just to insert, the, the Department of Justice is looking into the matter. Yes, so. we, they, we've been covering that. They are doing it. The House panel investigating the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol, meanwhile, has identified an almost eight-hour gap in the White House records of Trump's phone calls. We know this, too, as the violence unfolded and his supporters stormed the building. That's according to two people familiar with the probe. Now, regarding the 2020 gifts, the department said it had, quote, made attempts to collect the required data from current authoritative sources 
but it has confirmed that potentially relevant records are not available to the State Department's Office of the Chief of Protocol under applicable access rules for retired records of the Executive Office of the President and the Office of the Vice President. Went on to say, as a result, the data required to fully compile a complete listing for 2020 is unavailable. That's what they told them. Now, gift records for Trump administration officials, such as the former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, former Defense Secretary Mark Esper, former Central Intelligence Agency Chief Gina Haspel, are included in the limited 2020 report as are records for other senior diplomats, Pentagon and CIA officials. So those are all included. But somehow the Trump family, not so much. And, and Mr. Pence also, his, pre- his presents don't seem to be on record. Mm. Maybe mother knows what he got. Remember that missing bottle of like $5,000 Japanese whiskey? That yes. gone too. Yeah. Wasn't that Pompeo? No, I'm yeah. probably, re- oh, it was. Okay. I wasn't mm-hmm. sure if I was remembering incorrectly. Yeah, those mm. records are unavailable. Sorry, Dana. Well, maybe he, I, I shouldn't speculate about anything. So mm. continue. Hmm. Now, all right, let's see. A North Carolina man who was one of the leaders of the far-right Proud Boys as they assaulted the Capitol pled guilty Friday to two felony counts with a minimum sentence of nearly six years in prison and agreed to cooperate against other defendants in hopes of getting a lighter sentence. Court records filed Friday showed he has provided numerous insights into the group's plans and intention to disrupt the electoral vote confirmation. Prosecutors have now secured convictions and the cooperation of defendants in probes in two groups, Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers accused of planning violence on January 6th. Of note that in all those filings, the DOJ makes connections to the violence and Trump's tweets. In addition to the plea by the Proud Boy members, Charles Donahoe is this guy, and an earlier plea by another defendant, an Alabama member of the Oath Keepers, pled guilty last month to seditious conspiracy. That's James, admitted to taking part in a plan developed by a group founder, Stuart Rhodes, to oppose by force the inauguration of President Biden while taking part in the Capitol breach. Now, that's interesting because that's, you know, the Oath Keeper was charged with seditious conspiracy. That's the that's the by force part. But the Proud Boy here only pled guilty to obstructing an official proceeding. And, and so he hasn't been charged with seditious conspiracy. They haven't yet. I think they will be. I don't know. Donahoe, 34, of Kernsville, North Carolina, admitted to conspiring to help organize an attack on Congress by supporters of Donald Trump and assaulting law enforcement officials. And officers. Donahoe is the first among six of the charged Proud Boys leaders, including the chairman Enrique Tario, to admit to planning the attack on Congress and assaulting law enforcement. Tario pled not guilty earlier this week to charges of conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding and six other felonies. He has been ordered held in jail pending trial, along with six other defendants. Those other defendants include Donahoe, who has been jailed since March 2021. March 2021, he, he pled guilty to conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding and also assaulting police officers. Now, in December 2020, according to the court documents filed Friday, Tario appointed Donahue as one of the members of the MOSD, Ministry of Self-Defense. It sounds like they're Harry Potter fans. It, feel, it feels like... <laughs> Which house is this? Well, it feels like Harry Potter to me. That's a leadership group, the MOSD, within the Proud Boys, making preparations for January 6th. And in a statement of offense, prosecutors say Donahoe understood the purpose of the rally in D.C. was to stop the certification of the Electoral College vote. Ministry of Self-Defense leadership was broken into marketing, counsel of three people to recruit more members, and operations to actually to carry out the, the force, the coup by force. Donahoe was part of the marketing group, which soon expanded to about 65 members. As early as January 4th, prosecutors say Donahoe was aware that members of the MOSD were discussing the possibility of storming the Capitol and believed that storming the Capitol would achieve the group's goal of stopping the government from carrying out the transfer of presidential power. 
Donahoe understood that storming the Capitol would be illegal. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. Good. Yeah. We got that. He knows that. Yeah. Donahoe did not plan to be in Washington on January 6th, but when Tario was arrested and kicked out of D.C., he thought there would be a leadership void, so he showed up. Bad choice. Although you don't have to be present at the Capitol, we now know, in order to get nabbed for a conspiracy. And uh, so, haha. Nordine, Biggs, and Pozzola all pled not guilty. Donahoe is the third member of the Proud Boys to plead guilty. On Wednesday, Jeffrey Finley, president of the West Virginia Proud Boy chapter, admitted to being part of an effort to help Trump supporters overwhelm police officers outside the Capitol and pled guilty to misdemeanor trespassing on restricted grounds, but did not agree to cooperate with the government. Now, among the Oath Keepers, like I said, Josh James last month admitted entering the Capitol with other Oath Keepers wearing body armor and helmets and stashing after stashing firearms outside of Washington across the Potomac in that hotel, those quick reaction forces. And he is the first January 6th rioter to be convicted of sedition. So he, he pled guilty to seditious conspiracy. And I am I'm wondering why they didn't charge seditious conspiracy against the Proud Boys before this guy cooperated. I guess they can supersede him and you just take the cooperation where you can get it, right? The conspiracy charges that Donahoe pled to carries a sentencing range of 97 to 121 months, but credit for acceptance of responsibility and entering early plea first and plea often, right? That could reduce his sentencing range from 70 to 87 months. If he cooperates further, prosecutors can ask the district judge Tim Kelly to reduce his sentence even more, like even a bigger downward departure. All right. Thank you so much. And this is the story I was telling you that just gets more bananas. This is a pair of phony Homeland Security agents who allegedly infiltrated the highest levels of federal law enforcement and plied agents with lavish gifts. Uh, I wonder if those were noted. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Uh, <laughs> we have a record of those. We have a record of those, apparently, <laughs> where somehow they were tipped off to arrest last week. They got arrested last week, allowing them to, they were tipped off to this arrest. So they were able to stash guns and other items. Prosecutors revealed this in a new filing on Sunday. Now, um, Ariane Tarzeda, and I believe that's what we decided on, Tarzeda, 40, and Hader Ali, 36, were arrested last week when cops swarmed the upscale crossing apartments in Washington, D.C.'s Navy Yard neighborhood, bringing what appears to be an extraordinary two-year-long ruse to an end. Now, the pair were charged with false impersonation of a federal officer for allegedly running an elaborate scheme that fooled at least one Homeland Security official and four Secret Service agents working on security details for President Joe Biden, First Lady Jill Biden, and Vice President Kamala Harris. This is a little fucking terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Just, oh, just random, not just random Secret Service guys. The president, First Lady, yeah. and VP. Their detail. The duo allegedly flashed official-looking IDs, carried Glocks, drove black SUVs with flashing lights, and became so friendly with some agents that they put the agents up for free in penthouses at the crossings and gifted them iPhones, rifles, and drones. Federal prosecutors Matthew Graves said in the Sunday filing that investigators are still uncovering disturbing new information following last week's arrest. And this is a quote. Each hour since their arrest, the government learns more and more scarier information about Tahar Zeta and Ali abused their fake authority, how they did that. And he said this and argued both men should be detained before trial. You know, shit. <laughs> For example, Graves said investigators sifting through the multiple apartments Tarzada and Ali occupied at the crossings have found illegal high-capacity magazines for Tarzada's Sig Sawyer. And I don't know guns. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. It's a Sig Sauer. Sig Sauer. Thank you very much. Sig mm -hmm. Sauer 229 and Ali's Glock 19. That one I know I'm saying right. 
That's in addition to the long list of <laughs> items already seized. Glock 19, yeah. 22, 23, whatever it took. I got those. I know what a Glock is. That's in addition to the long list of items already seized, including guns, ammo, body armor, surveillance gear, forced entry tools like a sledgehammer and mini door ram, fake training certificates, fake badges, gas masks, tactical gear, hard drives, servers, drone, training manuals from the Department of Homeland Security, a Naval Criminal Investigation Service, and a binder with a list of every resident at the crossings, which is very popular with law enforcement. Now, Graves said more victims have come forward since last week, too, and that's including a naval intelligence officer whom Tarha Zeta allegedly claimed to be a Homeland Security Investigations agent. This is another quote. The intelligence officer was so alarmed and concerned about Tarha Zeta's attempt to gather information that he reported the contact to the Naval Criminal Investigation Services. That's what, thank fucking God. Finally, right? Fucking leave it to the Navy. I know. Right? Everyone to else was like, like, look at my presence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> look at my cool new apartment at the oh crossing. Oh, my God. It gets even more troubling. The pair appeared to have been tipped off to an FBI's impeding raid and arrest. And then they tried to ditch some potentially incriminating items via a Secret Service agent assigned to protect the White House. This is what prosecutors said. Right? Officers Ugh. found shipping materials and UPS labels in one of their penthouse apartments. And in early April, as the FBI surveyed the pair, the Secret Service agent received a package in the mail from the pair. Again, this is what prosecutors had said. The package contained three empty cases for Sig Sauer. Say it again. Sour. Okay, that's what I was going to say. Sig Sauer and Glock firearms that have not been found yet. Mm. A high capacity magazine and four expensive cigars. Okay. Mm. Mm. Yeah. All right. This is another quote. This is consistent with the prior pattern and practice of providing federal law enforcement agents with gifts and items of value and suggests that Tarhazeda and or Ali shipped the package to the USSS Uniform Division Officer in an attempt to corruptly enlist him in secreting evidence. Wow. That's what the filing said. This is bananas. Prosecutors said in a Thursday arraignment hearing that Ali had boasted of his ties to Pakistani intelligence services to at least two witnesses and had visas in his passport for Iran and Pakistan, but the FBI had not confirmed any ties to the overseas spy agencies. We had talked about that last time we covered this story because mm. he's American. Now, such high-level ties would come as a surprise to two former friends and business associates of Tarhazeda, who described him to the Daily Beast on Friday as nothing more than a failed entrepreneur and a serial grifter who left eight rail of bounce checks and empty promises in Missouri a decade ago. You think this guy would have been on a list somewhere? Hello. Mm, right. Yeah. Well, leave it to the Navy. The Navy turned him in. That's cool. I'm wondering who tipped him off. That's frightening and fascinating. And that they were able to get a Secret Service guy help them hide evidence is also, wow, fuck. Yeah. Um, the Secret Service is so fucked, dude. They're just, it's, it's awful. Oh my God, it needs total overhaul. Uh, all right, we'll be right back with Scott Stedman, my friend from Forensic News, who uh, was sued and uh, testified to Congress about it. Uh, we'll talk to him uh, right after the break. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG for The Beans, and today's show is brought to you by AG, Athletic Greens, a great company that specializes in convenient, comprehensive daily nutrition. Life is really busy for me. It can be hard to eat healthy and obtain the nutrients I need on a daily basis. And the same probably goes for you. Plus, I'm paleo and I'm perimenopausal and I intermittently fast. So I have huge gaps in my nutrition. 
AG1 to the rescue. This is my favorite life hack. Athletic Greens, you get complete daily nutrition from one scoop of AG1. It's delicious. AG1 contains multivitamins, multiminerals, probiotics, a green superfood blend, 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food ingredients. And I find that taking AG1 in the morning keeps me feeling great and being productive throughout the day. It gives me energy, helps me focus. It's amazing. And I get all my nutrition in, in one convenient scoop of AG1. It's such an easy habit to pick up. And it works well with all lifestyles, including keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, and gluten-free. And it has fewer than one gram of sugar, and it contains no GMOs, chemicals, or artificial anything. And it tastes delicious. But my favorite thing about AG and Athletic Greens and AG1 is that they keep up there with their research. You know, a lot of supplements hit the market and they don't change for decades. But AG1 has been improved 53 times in the last decade as a result of the latest research. For daily nutrition, I highly recommend AG1. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free immune-supporting, free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Just visit athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans today. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans to take control of your health and give AG1 a try. And today's show is also brought to you by Jiminy's. I love this new sponsor. First of all, it's dog treats and dog food made out of cricket protein, and it's called Jiminy's. And that's just, I love that so much. When you have a dog and you care about the environment, Jiminy's sustainable dog food and treats are made from that cricket protein, and that can help reduce your dog's carbon footprint. That's amazing. And compared to traditional animal protein, dog food, Jiminy's uses less water and less land to produce and produces fewer greenhouse gas emissions. One bag of Jiminy's Cricket Protein Treats saves 220 gallons. One bag saves 220 gallons of water versus traditional animal protein treats. And my dog loves the taste. Jiminy's includes delicious, nutritional, plant-based ingredients like sweet potatoes, blueberries, peanut butter, and pumpkin. Jiminy's is easy for dogs to digest, too, because Cricket Protein contains a fiber that's uh, prebiotic, which supports healthy guts in your dog. Jiminy's is also good for dogs with food sensitivities or dog allergies. I'm excited to have switched to Jiminy's. Olive loves them. And I also uh, like that it contains plant-based ingredients and has very, very good flavors that the dog eats, loves. She loves them. And I highly recommend giving Jiminy's a try. I've been using them to train. That's how much she loves them. To learn more and save 25% on your first purchase, go to Jiminy's.com slash dailybeans25. And use code DAILYBEANS25 at checkout. That's Jiminy's, J-I-M-I-N-Y-S dot com slash DAILYBEANS25. And use code DAILYBEANS25 at checkout. You'll be glad you did. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I'm honored today to be joined by my friend from Forensic News, Scott Stedman, a really incredible investigative journalist who was recently sued by a Soriano, a Russian, through the UK in a case of what we call libel tourism. Scott, welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me. Hi. Absolutely. It's been it's been a while since I've seen you. It's nice to see your face. Likewise. So tell us a little bit about this lawsuit from Soriano and what libel tourism is, what the, what he's suing you for. Yeah. So Walter Soriano is a British Israeli, calls himself a security consultant, but he kind of does like private intelligence stuff for the Russian oligarchs. So we wrote a few articles about him in 2019 and 2020. And he sued us for libel and a whole bunch of other claims that we're still going through. But basically, libel tourism is when someone selects a location that's more beneficial for them to sue. So I'm, I've never been to the UK. Like I have nothing to do with <laughs> that country whatsoever. But Soriano has lived there for a number of years, and uh, he chose to sue there because our laws are much stronger protecting journalists. So it's basically when someone shops around for a venue to stifle reporting. And Soriano has done this before. He's suing 
a French journalist. He's suing a couple Israeli journalists, me, and then he actually tried to sue Twitter for a little bit to to get some tweet down. So he is a uh, you know serial litigious fellow. Ser- yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> serial slapper. Ah. And this would be harmless if it didn't cost so much and put you through so much. And in fact, you recently testified to Congress about this, didn't you? Yeah, I testified in front of the Helsinki Commission to speak about these kinds of abusive lawsuits that we're seeing from the Russian oligarchs and what we're calling uh, their enablers, which are basically the Western folks, the, the lawyers, the private intelligence people, PR agents that help the Russian oligarchs kind of integrate into the West. And so I spoke there about my experience. And one of the points that I made was that the process of going through the lawsuit is essentially the punishment for the journalist. Um, in my case, the lawsuit's been ongoing for a year and a half now, and we, like, we're not even close to the end of, of this thing. <sighs> and in the meantime, I'm, you know, I'm in a little bit of debt now. I've paid tens of thousands of dollars to try and fight this. You know, a question I get a lot is why didn't you just not respond? Well, there's a whole like list of things that would be really negative from that. The main thing is that one of the original claims that Soriano brought was just against me personally, and it was harassment. So if I were to not respond to that, it's a default judgment saying that I did harass, you know, this prominent businessman, and that would be, you know, devastating for my career. So I'm in that situation where, you know, I'm forced to respond to it and pay money for for lawyers and go through this kind of wacky process. And he knows that, I'm I'm sure. Yeah. I think that's part of the plan, right? That's I think why he sues so many pretty much everyone that, that writes about him gets either a stern legal threat or an actual lawsuit. Wow. And let's talk a little bit about a subpoena that you've issued, because this goes, this kind of reaches back into the old Mueller days. Yeah. And I was wondering if you could tell us about that, because I find it very fascinating. Yeah. So we recently issued an application to subpoena a former FBI official. He was actually the special agent in charge of Newark when he retired. And he left his job at the FBI and immediately went to go work for Soriano at his company in London. And so we we have pretty good reason to believe that the FBI official, Richard Frankel, has information directly relating to kind of some of the collusion-y stuff that we saw in the Trump-Russia investigation. For example, we've reported that Soriano was involved in silencing Nastia Ribka, who was Oleg Deripaska's mistress slash sex coach, whatever you want to call her, <laughs> that was uh, partying on Deripaska's yacht. Yeah, she's the one who got the video of the handoff of the Kalimnik information from Manafort. And Navalny got his hands on that video and played it. And I think might have been included in part of why he was jailed. That's right. Yeah. Navalny did a really good investigative report on kind of this yacht rendezvous that Deripaska had with his mistress, as well as a senior Russian government official. Um, they were talking about the U.S. election and Ribka went on to claim that she had audio and video basically proving coordination between the Trump camp and the Russians. And then she was thrown in jail while she was in Thailand and spent many months there and then was extradited back to Russia where she kind of was was shut up. She said, I can't, you know, I can't speak about Deripaska any longer. So we said that, you know, we have sources saying that Soriana was involved in the arrest in Thailand and in silencing Ribka. And so 
by getting this subpoena granted, we hope to learn more about you know Soriano's involvement in that whole situation. Wow, and and you say Frankel knows about this? Yeah, I mean Frankel was um, was for sure employed by Soriano's company USG Security, and that employment started in 2016 and um, extended for a few years. So so he was definitely Soriano's employee when this was happening. And Frankel, being such a high profile former FBI guy, he would have, we believe, would likely have known about this. Wow. Well, um, best of luck with all this. I mean, it's 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 terrifying and awful and expensive. And you are actually fundraising for your legal defense. Can you tell everyone how they can pop, you know, throw in a buck and help out? Because I mean, it's it's really, really having to deal with this. It could shut you down. And that's it's your career, you know? Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, the best way is just go to supportpressfreedom.com and that takes you to our GoFundMe page. And if you can't donate, we're in the phase now of just trying to get this case out in the public. We spent a long time kind of staying silent about it because we were fighting the jurisdiction issues. But now that that's done, we want to keep this in the press. We want to keep talking about it and raise uh, the issue of how you know, this case could actually be really precedent setting for the wealthy who want to go after journalists, especially independent journalists that don't have a big paper behind them. Yeah, for sure. And and thank you so much for what you do. Thank you. It's never, it's, it's always the hard thing, the right thing to do. So we appreciate you shining light on the truth and bringing it to us through forensic news. Everybody check out that site, follow Scott on Twitter and help get this story out. That's the whole idea right now. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, AG. We'll talk again soon. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, everybody. It's AG. And today's show is also brought to you by Allform, maker of my favorite. It's The furniture is incredible. They make uh, sectionals, love seats, armchairs for your living room. It's the same company that does Helix, and they're amazing. They provide beautiful personalized furniture made to your specifications, and they deliver it free to your home fast. Last time I got a custom couch, it took 14 weeks to order. But this comes in just five to seven days, and you can assemble it yourself without tools. And they let you create luxury furniture at a fraction of the cost. And it's customized to fit what you want. So I picked out a three-seater sofa in whiskey-colored leather. I could never have a leather couch with the podcats. But because it's, you know, spill stain and scratch resistant and has a forever warranty, no problem. And it's got the walnut leg finish and a chaise lounge at the end. It's stylish. It's comfortable. I love it. Easy to assemble. From armchairs and love seats up to eight-seat sectionals. You can start small, add seats if you want. And you get 100 days to decide if you want to keep it. And if you don't love it, they'll pick it up for free and give you a full refund. And like I said, they have that forever warranty. So... To find your perfect sofa, check out allform.com slash dailybeans. And Allform right now is offering 20% off all orders. That's huge. 20% off all orders for listeners at allform.com slash dailybeans. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we're blown on good news. It's on the way. And if you have any good news or corrections or confessions or what the mutt or whoopee stories or stuffed animals that you've had forever or brand new ones that you just got for somebody or Easter bunny photos, whatever you have, send it in to us at uh, or your special superpower, right? That was another one. Um, you can do it at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. And it would really help us out if everyone listening on Apple Podcasts gave us a review. And also it would help me out because I'm testing something, Dana. Okay. I'm testing Google Business. Okay. They send me reports. So if everyone wouldn't mind Googling MSW Media, see if we come up first. I think we do. And then click on that 
to take you through to the website. First of all, you get to see the cool website. But second, I want to see if it counts people. So do that if you have a chance. All right. My little experiments. Fun, fun times. All right. First up from anonymous pronouns, none given actually. Hi there. Thank you for your podcast. I was happy to see you learn the pronunciation for Wachita or Wachita or (laughs) the mountain. We don't remember anymore. (laughs) Today, however, you mentioned they exist in southwestern Oklahoma. These mountains show up in a little in southeastern Oklahoma, but their full beauty presents in southwestern Arkansas. Oh, okay. And to be fair, we didn't say that. Somebody else did. Yes, it was Uh, it was in the submission. Yes. Now, Arkansas is a beautiful state, and I wanted you to know the geography. We all have a non-Trumpist Republican governor, yes, which is unusual in the South. Asa Hutchinson did not sign the anti-trans bill and has not jumped on anti-choice bills and has been good about science, going around to town halls in the state in person to face down the QAnon masses who think vaccines are tracking devices. In this day and age of awful Trumpist types, I find it important to point out the Republicans who don't take that path. The awful Sarah Huckabee Sanders may change all that. Horrors. Oh, yeah. yes. That would, if the Huckabeest won, I would be so, so upset. I do like Asa Hutchinson as a Republican for a Republican. Same with the, the good uh, Republican governor of Utah, who's also very cool. Indeed. So thank you for that. And yes, Arkansas, such a beautiful state. Very, very good point. All right. This is from that shitty quote, it girl. Finally got myself out of Southern California and opted to move back to the heartland of the USA. There's a little cow and a cowboy hat emoji and a sunflower. I've got myself some new neighbors. That's how I'm going to read this. I got myself some new neighbors pictured here who are easygoing, appear to love the quote simpler laugh, and occasionally moo at me in a rather friendly manner. I have to say, it's a breath of fresh air. You sound like Rose and Sadie from Jupiter Hollow in Big Business when you read that. (laughs) Oh, look at the cows. Hi, moo cows. Hi, moo cows. I love cows. Do you want to take the next one too? Sure. This is from Zachary. No pronouns from Zachary. Just finished listening to your last podcast with Frank. I wanted to add something about the craziness of the postal inspector cracking the case of pin the SS service mess that we obviously just covered. Frank mentioned that he was now watching Dropout. If he had been able to finish, he would have noticed that another boring federal bureaucracy, bureaucracy shut down Theranos, another federal bureaucracy shut down Theranos. The CMS, Centers for Medicare mm-hmm. and Medicaid Services, a simple complaint generated a lab inspection and that report shut them down for two years. The company folded quickly after that. Bureaucrats can save us. Mm-hmm. Good point, Zachary. All right, next up, anonymous, pronouns A-M air. Misheard lyrics here. I've always heard it as, if it ain't paradise, put up a parking lot. <laughs> If it ain't paradise, paradise, put up a parking lot. I'm not sure which lyrics are more dystopian, my own or the original, right? (laughs) I thought this song was about paving over everything except the best and charging people to see that. But it's really about finding the best, paving it over and charging people to see a shitty reproduction. Oh my God, that's funny. (laughs) No pets. So I present my best friend's rabbit, Nick Hops. (laughs) Look at this baby. Oh, look at Nick with his black eye. Little bun. Oh, cute. Thank you for that. All right. I'll get this one. We'll keep going. This is from Caroline Pronouns, she and her. Hi, gals. I've been listening since the kitchen days, and I'm proud to be one of your Australian Patreon members. Hmm. I watch several food adventure programs in which the presenters taste incredible dishes from around the world. My silly superpower would be the ability to taste the dishes that the presenters are eating as I'm watching the program. 
So many of the dishes look incredibly delicious, and I experience acute taste envy as I'm watching the presenters devour yes, them. Yes, I, when I was watching Stanley Tucci's Italy, I was like, mm, I want that pasta. Yeah. Thank you for the incredible job you do every day, your insights and tenacity and uncovering information that many media organizations refuse to cover is a tribute to you. Thank you Thanks, so much, Caroline. Yeah. And finally, from Chrissy, pronouns she and her. Hi, friends. I've been listening forever, but I've never written in before. So I'm coming in with a shit kid say and a little plug for my homemade French macarons. This story about my daughter really deserves a two-person dialogue. So I hope you have a good news, buddy. Okay, do you want to read this with me? Absolutely. Script? All right, so I'll be the daughter. And I'm pointing at a shelf in the grocery store. What's that, mom? That's a fruit by the foot. It's kind of like a, a big fruit roll. You want one? Uh, sure, I want a fruit by the toe. No, honey, not toe, foot. Fine, I want a foot by the toe. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that's cute and scene <laughs> hope that made you smile it made me smile just typing it and remembering on another note i have just opened an etsy shop for my small business making and selling homemade french macarons my store is called crisscross macarons no spaces Ooh. and macarons is m-a-c-a-r-o-n-s and I have a very special macaron box posted right now, blue and yellow shells filled with lemon and blueberry oh. filling in honor of the brave folks in Ukraine. $3 from each box of one dozen Ukraine flag macarons will, uh, macarons, macarons, that's the president of France, not the cookie, uh, macarons will be donated to the International Rescue Committee to assist with efforts on the ground, rescue.org. Any sales help me immensely, but I hope you will go check out this special box of yummy treats for a good cause. Thanks for the show. I'm smarter for having listened to you. So everybody, that's crisscross macarons. Chrissy, I'm ordering. Just look for my name. I'm going to go order. I'm going to go order mm. something tonight. Yep. So yummy. That sounds so good. All right. Thank you. We had a kind of a bit of a long show today. We had a lot of news to get to over the weekend that we missed. And so thank you for, for sticking around through the good news and, and everything. If you have any good news you want to send in, you can do it at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. Or even if you just want to say hi, you know, whatever. What's up? Give us a rating on Apple Podcasts if you can. And if you are having a problem for us coming up in your feed, just unsubscribe and resubscribe and that fixes the problem. And uh, do you have any final thoughts, Dana? Uh, not today. Yeah, just uh, wishing everyone a very happy Monday. I hope we have a good week ahead. And that's it. I hope you're having a beautiful day. Have you sold out the show Saturday? Is it still, are there no, tickets available? No, yes, there are still tickets available. Thank you. If you are listening to this and you're in the San Diego area or in driving distance, we still have tickets available for Saturday night's show. It's this Saturday night, April 16th. It's at Martini's Above Fourth. You've got a trifecta of power. It's myself, Suzanne Westenhofer, and Bruce Valanche. And um, I would love uh, any ticket purchased. It's not one of those things that we get paid regardless. So you buy a ticket, it's going to help us out. And um, I would love to see you at the show. Yep. And if you are one of the Beans listeners, make sure you uh, let me know afterwards and come up and say hi, because I'd love to meet you. Yeah, and I'll be there. Well, me and Dana will be sitting there having an executive martini, probably right. somewhere at the bar, and come up and say hi. Sounds good. I'll probably be sipping on some Casamigos, but I'll be there with you. Awesome. All right, everybody, until tomorrow, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, take care of your mental health, and vote blue over Q. I've been AG. And I've been DG. And that was the Beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. <laughs> <laughs> 